I'm Matt Brownell. And I'm Van Owens. And I'm Tim Adams. Welcome to Climbing the Mountain, where we dive into the scriptures and discuss themes, connections, and real-life application. We're kicking off a series here where we're going to examine the Sermon on the Mount and discuss implications for this teaching for Christians today. This is our inaugural podcast for the Sermon on the Mount. We're titling this one, Laying Down the Law. It's intended as a sort of provocative double entendre. Uh, in Jesus's sermon, the law, is it the new covenant? Does it supersede the old covenant with God? Is it just a new set of amendments? Alternatively, should we view it entirely different? Is it something else? In many ways, this law, if it is our law of the new covenant, seems a whole lot tougher than the first one. And if Israel failed with the first one, what hope do we have of following a tougher one? What does God expect? Perfection? So before we get into it, I want to set the table here with Romans 14. There's room for debate on how we view this sermon. And we all might not agree on everything all the time, but we totally welcome each other and that the dialogue that we will have with each other, I'm excited about it. And I believe we are fully convinced of each of our points of view, uh, which we will reason from scripture. I assume we will be doing a lot of reasoning because the Bible is reasonable. Mm -hmm. And uh, that said, we, we totally love and honor each other. Um, why are we, why am I starting this podcast off with a warning? <laughs> uh, I think it's because the Sermon on the Mount elicits pretty strong and diverging reactions from believers. Mm -hmm. And um, what at the heart of what we're kind of getting at tonight, I think is uh, something from Hebrews 12, 14, which says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, before we get into anything else with this sermon, I think we need to understand how we actually view it. So, first question, uh, Matthew and the Holy Spirit are writing to a very interesting audience, right? On the one hand, you have a very clear Jewish audience, given the consistent refrain of Matthew, which is, this happened to fulfill, and then you find a, a quote or allusion to prophecy concerning the Messiah, and the intended audience is probably first Jews, but Matthew's an interesting character. And he, he, not only does he quote and allude a lot of the Old Testament more than any other gospel, he's also an outcast among his fellow Jews. He was a tax collector. Mm -hmm. No one liked tax collectors back then. So, uh, and today, frankly, sorry, uh, if you are a tax collector. Um, so uh, the good news often relates to other outcasts as well. And you see in Matthew, especially when we get to chapters five, uh, 18 and 15, um, and then culminating with the great commission of go into all nations. So this, this gospel, um, you could view it as one long narrative of, of what John writes in, in chapter 111, where he says that Jesus came to those who should have known him and received him, uh, but they didn't. But anyone who, who does receive him, uh, who believes in him, can be called sons of God. And so when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we have 
I think both audiences in mind, but but the the weight of it really comes from viewing it through a Jewish lens. And the whole scene, if you look at Matthew, it's kind of amazing. He organizes his gospel into five sections of teaching connected by uh, narrative. And it's almost like he's doing a new five books of Moses, right? A new Torah. And and with that in mind, it's fascinating, the, the organization, but with that in mind, that that picture of Jesus when he goes up on that mount is uh, hard to, to miss the allusions to Mount Sinai and Moses giving the people the law of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So I think we should start there. With all these weighty considerations, these allusions, how are we to view Jesus's words? Are we getting a new law of the kingdom of heaven? Why yes or no? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And and when you talk about, when you say law now, there's such a strong reaction that we have uh, in in our culture. We don't we don't like laws that are restricting our behavior. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a rhetoric too uh, that you know we see in the New Testament. It talks about oh, the law is gone. The law is gone. And so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, when we, oh, a new law. Like, what is that? What could that even mean? I thought, I thought that Paul said there's, there's no law at all. And I think that's, that's uh, the backdrop in my mm-hmm. mind of mm-hmm. this discussion that w- when we're talking about what, what actually would a new law even look like. I think that's an important distinction. When you, when you say law, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. There's, there's lots of ways of looking at that. Right. Yeah. And I think that there is a, there's a, there's a part of us and, you know, it's interesting with our group because the three of us represent three different generations. And, you know, and I think the the sort of American perspective a lot is we like to think of things in terms of our rights and not in terms of the law but that is sometimes a generational bias. Mm. Sometimes you want, uh, there's a part of me as being the oldest person in the room, you know, I'm the, I'm the baby boomer here. <laughs> there's a part of me that wants to know what the rules are so that number one, I can follow them. But, and number two, sometimes, and number two sometimes overweighs number one, I wanna make sure that they're followed. And so there's a there's an aspect of this that is both of saying it's a new law that is attractive to me because then I know everything's delineated, I know what's expected. But there's a part of it that is also kind of repulsive to me because I don't want to think about what laws I have to obey. I want to think about what rights I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, when I when I think about this, I think the first thing we have to be thinking about is who's talking. Mm-hmm. The Sermon on the Mount yes. is is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and began to teach them. And we know from Matthew seven that when he finished. The people were amazed because he's teaching with authority. Yeah. Right. right. And there's a, a line in, in Matthew 23 where Jesus is saying, 
you should not be called rabbi or you should not be called teacher because you have one rabbi, you have one teacher and one instructor, and that's the Messiah. Mm -hmm. So whatever we call this Sermon on the Mount, we have to know that it's our one instructor, Jesus, teaching us with authority. And that has to, that has to be the foundation, regardless of, uh, maybe what theological distinction we, we may or may not put, uh, is this a new law of a new covenant? Is it some amendment, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. there is strong authority, uh, from the person who has the ultimate authority of our lives. Right. Right. Yeah. The church is built on the apostles teaching with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So what we have here recorded is really special. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I do think when you look at the way this is sandwiched between, I think it's Matthew 4, 23, maybe, and, and Matthew 9, 35, they're almost identical. They, they say something like, uh, you know, he uh, goes around uh, teaching uh, in all the synagogues uh, in Galilee and I think later all the other towns, but uh, that might be the only difference. But he's teaching in all their synagogues about the kingdom of, of heaven. Mm-hmm. And then he's healing all these diseases. And then what does he do? You, Matthew writes and starts right away in chapter five. And Jesus on the mount teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And then, you know, in chapters eight and nine, healing a bunch of people. And then he bookends it. It's like a whole section. And so what he's saying here, yeah, I think is really important for us to, to listen to and to understand what does it mean. When I go back to the first question, what is the Sermon on the Mount? Is it a new law? It, my one sentence answer is yes. Like mm-hmm. The Sermon on the Mount is a new law for a new covenant. And I mean, we have to first, if, if that's the claim, then you have to first say, well, is there a new covenant? And I think that's pretty easy to establish from scripture. In mm-hmm. Luke uh, 22, Jesus is at the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. And he takes the cup and he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Yeah. And he's hearkening back to Moses who sprinkles blood yep. on the people to ratify the old covenant. Mm-hmm. And that that parallel of Moses and Jesus that you had talked about, Matt, at the beginning, I mean, that's all over the place yeah. in Matthew. I mean, you've got both of them coming up out of Egypt. You have them both turning water into red stuff, wine or blood. You have mm-hmm. uh, both of them. Uh, if you think about the the miracles, I mean, Jesus himself says, just as Moses lifted up the, the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. So uh, all over the Gospels, uh, there's this picture of Jesus as the new Moses. Mm -hmm. And that's very deliberate because in Deuteronomy 18, Moses himself says, there's going to be a prophet like me who comes from the -hmm. Israelites and you need to listen to him. Yep. So I, I think we have very clear grounds to say Moses established the old covenant, but Jesus is establishing the new covenant from his own mouth in Luke 22. Mm-hmm. And if there's a new covenant, then 
there are going to be new terms of that relationship between God and his people. And yeah. I think the Sermon on the Mount is w- one part of that new relationship. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's uh, take a minute to think about that for a sec, because it, I agree, it is one part. Um, but I, I'm wondering, it, it feels incomplete, right? Just, just to say that, uh, you know, Matthew 5 through 7 is the covenant, like, You'd mm-hmm. say, I mean, there there are obvious allusions to the eight beatitudes and the ten commandments, and then you get you know the teaching off of that. But uh, you know that seems very short, and um, I it reminds me uh, get, getting back to I guess um, you know did the the old one fail? I think no, it was gospel mm-hmm. still. You know, it was good news when Jesus when God is on Mount Sinai with Moses. He's uh, describing himself as as a forgiving God, a loving God who, and that's that's really good. That's great news. Um, but, uh, but the failure was really with us not keeping it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why I think in Galatians 3, Paul talks about the law being a guardian or a schoolmaster, you know, mm-hmm. that, that word. They were the, it was the... Um, the, the person who would oversee the moral development of a, of a child until he became a man and, you know, they would never leave the house without this guardian, right? Mm-hmm. But once we, and, and Paul's using it, I think, is in the illusion of, like, now you, with Christ, though, you know, the law was there to just bring you to Christ so that you could be justified by faith. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe the difference for me is that it's not just what he's saying, but it's who he is too. part of that. Right. Yeah. I I think that, and, and I agree with all of what you guys have said. And when I contemplate that question, is this a new law? My first answer is no, it's not because in my mind, there's a dichotomy between law and gospel. You know, the the law came through Moses, grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. And I want to delineate that in my mind and say those are two different things. And, um, but the answer is in some ways, as I contemplated this, getting ready for this, I thought, but that's the answer. The answer is yes and no, <laughs> no and yes. And I think that part of the part of the beauty of uh, the Bible in general, and I think of the Sermon on the Mount in particular, you've got that first part where Jesus goes up on the mountain and he sits down and he begins to teach them. And so there's a part of that that's just very practical Western stuff. He went up on the mountain because there was a big crowd of people. And if he stayed down there among them, they wouldn't all be able to hear him. So he went up on the mountain just so that they could hear him. And he sat down because he was going to be there for a while. And he wanted to both sit down so he could be there for a while, but also indicate to the people, I'm sitting down, maybe you should sit down. We're going to be here for a little while. So there's a very practical Western part of that. But then anybody who is versed at all, in the, the, the Old Testament law recognizes that immediately as, a, as a, an echoing back to uh, Moses, mm. to Mount Sinai. And I think that 
So part of what's going on here is that it it's not it is a new law in that it is replacing the old law, yes, but it's also uh, uh, fulfilling hmm. that old law. It's the it's the it's the next part. It's the it's the the ongoing revelation uh, of what hmm. of what Jesus is is of what God is revealing to us. And there's a that 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 thread that you follow all the way from the very beginning of the scriptures through the gospels and through the letters is is um it is a new thing, but it's also an old thing. Mm-hmm. It is a new law, but it's also the old law. And the old law isn't applicable anymore, not because it was wrong, but because we're moving along because the story is still being told. Yeah. I like that. There's this quote from Hebrews. I kept on going back to Hebrews when I was trying to understand Mm -hmm. Matthew. That was really interesting to me. But uh, in, in Hebrews eight, it talks about Jesus has obtained a superior ministry since the covenant that he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you just referenced maybe the heart of Hebrews. It, like that's the pivot point of that whole book, chapter eight. And, uh, you know, the, the whole chiastic structure of that book, uh, it, it is really, and, and it's got the longest quote of, uh, in all of the New Testament of an Old Testament passage from Jeremiah. And I want to just read a, a little bit of it because mm-hmm. I, I think it applies to what we're we're uh, kind of talking about right now. So he's saying in, um, you know, this is quoting Jeremiah uh, thirty-one, of course, the uh, covenant that I okay for this is this is uh, Hebrews eight ten for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and mm. write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they shall not teach each other saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. And it's this, uh, I think, wow, uh, we're going to, I'm pretty sure we're going to come back to this mm-hmm. because uh, this knowing the Lord bit I think is pretty pretty important here, um, but there's a difference here of of uh, writing the law onto our hearts, which I think, and this to me is the difference between the old and new covenants. Um, both of them were gospel, but um, for whatever reason, well, I think I I could guess one reason, one main reason, um, the old covenant was gospel. The new, the new covenant was gospel plus enablement through the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit takes those words and writes them onto our hearts and minds. And, and I think that shows to the world once and for all, we can't do it on our own. Right. We need God. Yep. And this Holy Spirit, gift of the Holy Spirit is this incredible difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that gets at what you were saying in the beginning about if this is law, it's so much harder 
(laughs) than it was before. It's so much more difficult. It's, you know, Jesus will say, you know, you've heard it said, and then he announces what the Old Testament law, then he says, but I say to you, and what he says is almost every time, I think every time, much more difficult. Yes. And I think that that's the piece that is important is that it's much more difficult, but it's not us alone in our flesh having to do it. Well, it's the Holy Spirit acting in yes. us as well. And it's getting to our core, our inner being. Right. And it and who we are, um, which which was the different also a difference, I think, you know, from the the stone tablets to the, the creating hearts of flesh. I think uh, this what you just said, referencing like the all of these examples that Jesus gives in Matthew five, they're all harder. <laughs> they're all harder than yeah, right. here's the letter of the law, yeah. uh, getting down to your heart. And it, it ties in, I think it, it one of the pivot points here in Matthew 5, 19, um, it, it, where Jesus is pretty serious about his words, right? Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know, the the pinnacle, right? <laughs> uh, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's where he then he goes on to to give examples of, and he uses several uh, where you've heard it said, but I say, mm-hmm. you know, speaking like you said, Tim, with authority, but I say do this, and it right. goes right to the heart. No, don't don't uh, don't murder someone. Yeah, but don't even have hate in your heart. Right. Getting to the the root cause of things at, at our core. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and when we think about that, so there's a idea out there that I don't know if it's Western or not, but I've definitely been exposed to it a lot in my own life, where we just need to teach people something, and then they'll be convinced of that thing, and then they'll do it. That's kind of how our educational system is laid out that's there's so much persuasion out there oh i just need to give you the right information and then you're going to change the way that you're acting and it it i think what we're when we're talking about the holy spirit and how the holy spirit is coming into play here it's not just the information although the information is important i mean paul talks about how can they believe if they have not heard Right. Mm-hmm. So there's an important part of information. But there's also this very real part of we need help. We need a heart change yeah. in mm-hmm. order to be the the kingdom of priests that God calls us to be. And he's been calling us forever, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. called he said in Exodus, you'll be a kingdom of priests to to the people. And then in first Peter, we're called a kingdom of priests now. So he's always wanted us to be this people that are bringing in uh, the new creation that are restoring the world that are mediating between the world and God. Yeah. But 
we needed several things for that to happen, for that to even be a possibility. And one of the things I think we need is Jesus' teaching. We need to understand the fullness of what God intends for his people. I think that's what we see, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Mount is a one place where a lot of those threads come together. Mm-hmm. But we also need the work of the Holy Spirit, right. right? We need the Holy Spirit helping us and guiding us. And and, and actually, it was cool to look in John uh, 14, where he literally says, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help mm-hmm. you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I didn't actually know until I came back here today and, and reread this. And it says, the spirit's going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was yeah. so, that was so encouraging for me. I, I really like what you're saying there, Tim. And I like what you're saying about the, the difference between just having the information because we are, we are a society that really values the information. And we think that information is what we need. And it branches back to, I think, what you were saying earlier, Tim, about we, in, in some ways, whether this whether you consider this law or not, the main consideration is who is it coming from? Right. Who and what authority he has, who he is. It reminded me of, of the, the passage, this passage in Luke, where um, just thinking about information and where it's coming from, where um, Jesus is with us, this is when he's calling the first disciples in Luke chapter five, um, he tells them in, in verse four, it says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. <laughs> That's the information. I'm a fisherman. We worked all night when you're supposed to fish and we haven't caught anything. But he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And I think that that we have to we have to think about the fact that it's not just information. You know, there's a there's a part of me that says if I could just memorize. There was a point in my Christian life where I thought if I could just memorize the Sermon on the Mount, I would have it. I'd be there. I will have arrived because that is all the information you need to be a Christian, to be right with God. It's all right there. And I don't know if I made that up myself in my own mind, or I heard somebody say that, or whatever conclusion, that's the conclusion that I came to. And so I dedicated myself to trying to do that. And I memorized good portions of it, but it didn't do anything for me because I was thinking I just need the information. What I needed was, yes, the information. I needed the message, but I also needed the Holy Spirit helping me. Yep. And I needed to understand that this was not just a group of a, a bunch of rules that were set down randomly. Yeah. These came from the mouth of Jesus. This was him giving us that word. The word that he gives is more than just information. It's yeah. life. Yeah. Hey, Tim, I, I love that uh, passage you quoted too from John 14, because I think it gets at the heart of, of this process of sanctification, right? What the Holy Spirit does with mm-hmm. us after yeah. we've been born right. by the word of truth, 
you know, we've been given life. And then he comes in and he reminds us of those things. Yeah. And he's there. He's our helper because, uh, you know, he's with us and dwelling us. And, and uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the point um, that Jesus starts off with is if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments, right? Yes. You'll obey me. That was right, right before that mm-hmm. yeah. part about the Holy Spirit. And and I think it's important to note that um, love does not equal obedience. Love precedes obedience, but the obedience is is the fruit of you loving. And mm-hmm. you you really, if you've got a disobedient life, you got to wonder how much you actually love Jesus versus how much you love yourself. Right. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit will be there to, to convict you of, of these kind of things if he needs to. But mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I do think it's serious. I'm realizing we, we've talked uh, already quite a bit. Maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should do a part two here. And uh, uh, this has really been fascinating. I think there's a lot more to cover here. Yeah, let's, let's pick it back up another time. For sure. I'm excited. <laughs>